Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tony Brown, and you're listening to Firearms Cafe, the show where we discuss the philosophies of responsible firearms ownership, as well as the relevant issues and challenges that we face in the current gun culture. Hey everybody, what's going on? Today is Sunday. It's the 5th of March, 2017. Let's get that contact info out of the way and then we'll jump in with the show. I do have the voicemail, which is area code 206-745-2731. If you would prefer to record your own audio or send in an email and I can read that out for you on the show. The email address is firearmscafe at gmail.com. All one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. If you go over to the website, which is firearmscafe.com, there are buttons for Facebook and Twitter, also my YouTube channel. There is also a donation button for PayPal, if you ever feel so inclined. All right, I think that's maybe about enough of that nonsense. Oh, well, you know, one thing I was thinking about doing, and I know some people do the Patreon thing. I don't know if there'd be enough interest. Uh, I probably need... Like if the show was going to be self-sustaining, I would probably need about, oh, maybe $150, $160 a year, and that would cover everything. But again, I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure on how Patreon works. I know that they do get a percentage uh, through going through the service and you get you get paid sort of through the show. So you could donate a dollar per episode, or you can do a flat donation, uh, that type of stuff. So I'm toying with that. Uh, the shows will always be for free, you know, unless the cost was, you know, it got prohibitive or something like that. And even then I would probably try and figure out a way to, to get it done cheaper. So anyway, that's just kind of food for thought. If anybody out there, I know there's a lot of other fellow podcasters that listen and, uh, give me kind of your experience with, Patreon, your pluses, your minuses, that type of stuff. Uh, and that can either, it won't necessarily be maybe read out on the show, but we we may, uh, I may do something like that though on Arm Day where I talk about, on my other podcast, Arm Day, where I talk about different reviews and how products work and how certain services work. So anyway, enough of that. On the show today, we have got a ton of feedback. We've got feedback from Spencer and Aaron. I had a comment on one of my Facebook posts, but I can't find it anymore. And what I'll do is I'll, uh, I'll, I'll maybe kind of do that one first, and I'll try and <laughs> go from memory a little bit. And that will, I guess, kind of be our first bit of feedback. And on the last shows, I was talking about the RMR, which is the red dots on pistols, and I wanted to try those things out. I have uh, been unable to get to the range and shoot when I found a range that did have it, but I haven't been able to get over there to try one out and see how I like it. But I do think, I think that I will, I think it's something that will probably be a good fit for me. Uh, so anyway, I was talking about those RMRs and one of the guys had done a comment saying that 
that he he liked them, thought that they were going to be sort of the wave of the future, thought that that was kind of going to be the 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 way that things were going to happen and it would be kind of a standard. And he was also saying, well, get one that isn't, uh, that doesn't turn off automatically and then make sure that you can get one that you can adjust type stuff. And that's, it's not exactly, I think what he was saying. And I wish I could find it cause I could have read it out and given the guy credit. If you, uh, if that was you, if, if you sort of recognize that a little bit, there was only the one person that did that through Facebook. Uh, thanks for doing that. With the Facebook thing, you know, I do have the listener page. Uh, and again, if you go over to the website, you can click on on uh, the Facebook button. It'll take you right to uh, it'll take you right to the page, and then you can do sort of any comments or anything like that. Like I said, I Facebook is really weird on how they do things, and uh, I don't think somebody went in there and and took out a comment or anything like that. I, uh, I, like I said, I can't find it. it. It showed up as a notification saying, Oh, you've got this comment. I went over there and read that, but then now I can't find it. I've, I found some older stuff, but you know, like I said, I, I don't tend to have the best luck with Facebook. It's convenient. It's very convenient in some ways, but in other ways it's kind of a pain in the butt. Uh, I did put a post up, uh, I think it was last week, maybe on the 26th, about the uh, Walther, the PPK that I sold. So if you guys are hearing this maybe for the first time, you can go over to, again, to the Facebook page and check that out. Uh, you can like it or not. I don't, it doesn't really do anything. I don't have any, there's nothing, it's not really tied to it, to anything, I guess. Is But uh, what I'm trying to do is, is, I guess, have a little bit more, content or something that would be maybe a little bit interesting and kind of as a supplement to the show and maybe kind of get a little bit of a community going. So anywho, that was the first bit of feedback that we have. We also have some feedback from Spencer and I'll go ahead and read that. And this is from Spencer in Georgia. And so he writes in, Hey Tony, this is Spencer from Georgia again. I just listened to your last couple of episodes and wanted to make a couple of comments. Hopefully this won't be too long-winded, but it probably will be. First of all, on your 380 pocket pistol search. I'm not surprised you got rid of the PPK. I think we've all had visions of being James Bond at some point, but frankly, the PPK is a lousy gun. As you mentioned, even though it's heavy and all metal, it is still ridiculously snappy for a 380. It is also hard to shoot accurately and has a tendency to bite the back of your shooting hand. It sounds like yours was a nice collector piece, which is really all they are good for today, with the great 380s we have on the market. I also can't, uh, excuse me, I also can't blame you for thinking about getting rid of the car PM380. It's a very high quality pistol and fits almost anywhere. But I found that the recoil spring grows from too heavy to worn out in an amazingly short amount of time. I think Carr recommends changing it every 200 rounds or so. And I put in three new springs before I finally gave up and sold mine off. The new LCP is a great little gun, but my one concern with it as a pocket pistol is that they quote-unquote fixed the very thing that made it so safe to carry, the trigger. The new gun is a single-action design, which gives it a great trigger but means that you don't have that long double-action pull to act as a safety. I'm still drawn to it, but... Honestly, I think the best shooting 380 out there today is probably the Glock 42. 
The trigger isn't as sensitive as the one in the new LCP, and while it's a little bit bigger, it is far easier to shoot accurately. It's also easier to manipulate than the LCP, and I'll bet your wife will like it better since it's softer shooting and easier to cock. Secondly, AK-47s. Personally, I think the arsenals are overpriced, but they seem to hold their value, so it's not a bad investment. The nice thing with them is that you buy it once and you're done. You won't need to worry about it breaking unless you put 10,000 rounds through it. The Vepper is also a great rifle, but as you mentioned, the receiver is based on the thicker RPK design. That means even though it's still stamped, it's not milled, parts compatibility is a little more difficult. I have one in 7.62x54R and it's awesome, but it took about $700 in parts to get it modified to be a tactical gun, he's got tactical in quotations, instead of the woodstock hunting gun they are imported as. If you buy one already converted, you are back up at arsenal money. Honestly, if you're just looking for an AK to mess around with, it's not hard to love the Wasser. They are cheaper than most imports, and the problems with canned sights and such are all in the past. If you go to any range that rents full auto AKs, chances are good that it'll be a Wasser because they last and they're easy to repair. Plus, almost any AK parts will be designed with them in mind. I would suggest staying away from U.S.-made AKs for now. It sounds like Palmetto State Armory may have a winner once they iron out a few bugs, and I have a DDI AK-74 that I love, but AK Operators Unions had some real issues with theirs in the long-term testing, and since they just got bought by Palmetto, no one quite knows what the support for them will be like. Third are the anti-protesting laws you mentioned. I read the Washington Post article you mentioned and looked up the Georgia bill, and it is kind of scary what those lawmakers are proposing. It's not like it isn't already illegal to block highways or throw rocks through windows. I agree 100% that these laws are not just unnecessary, but unconstitutional. If protesting against your government suddenly gives that government the ability to seize all your property, the Constitution and this country are dead. The good news is that I see the Arizona law was dropped, and I don't think the Georgia bill will fare any better. But this kind of overreach explains why we constantly seesaw between the two parties. As soon as one side gets full control of Congress and the executive branch, they tend to assume that they will never be on the receiving end of things again and start passing horrendous laws. They run amok and then voters get rid of their majority to try and neuter a government that's out of control. It really shows how short-sighted all politicians are and just reinforces my opinion that we should never let anyone serve more than a single term in public office over their lifetime. Heck, I'd almost be for selecting candidates by lottery, just as we do with juries. And by the way, while Washington Post is almost 100% liberal with a capital L, they do have some good writers that are outright libertarian with a small L. Check out some of the Eugene Volokhs, uh, spelled V-O-L-O-K-H, articles on Washington Post if you get a chance. He's one of the last journalists in major media with any integrity. Lastly, good luck on the red dot search. If you want an easy way to start, I would suggest replacing your Glock 17 with the MOS version and trying a cheaper red dot like the Burris. It's half the price of the Trijicon RMR and will give you a good feel for what it's like to shoot with one. If you like it, you can always upgrade, and if you don't, you're only out $200 or so. 
I personally have never found one that works really well for me on a centerfire pistol. I have one on my Browning Buckmark Target and one on my Smith & Wesson Victory. And for 22 Target guns, they're awesome. I also really like them on rifles where I use the Vortex Sparks and Strike Fires. Although the Vortex Spitfire Prismatic Sight is my new go-to on long guns because they are very crisp and clear. For me, on a defensive gun, they simply don't acquire fast enough unless you can tune your reflexes to bring the gun up at the right place all the time. With my 55-year-old eyes, when I do drills with one, I find that it's faster to get, quote, close enough hits with a fuzzy front sight than to wave the gun around trying to find that dot, which is never where it should be. Maybe it's just a training issue, but it would take a lot of work to fix, and I just don't see the payback and improved accuracy and speed at close range. My carry gun is an FNS9 compact, and the tritium night sight on that is good enough for me to get center mass at 10 yards in almost any lighting condition. I also don't have to worry about dead batteries, fog glass, and not having a holster that fits. Plus, here in Georgia, any kind of inside the waistband carry means you have to take sweating into account. I know in Arizona it's a quote-unquote dry heat, but I still would be concerned about the long-term reliability of a damp optic. Well, as promised, this went on for a while. Keep up the great shows. Spencer in Georgia. All right, Spencer, thanks for sending that in. A ton of stuff there. All good points. Um, let's start off again kind of with the 380 thing. I think that I will probably, I haven't really checked out the Glock yet. I'll still, I will, will go do that. One of the things that I really liked about the car is just how small it is. And it's sort of the same thing with the LCPs. I know they're, the new one I think is just a little bit bigger, a little bit fatter. And then I think that the, the Glock would be again, a little bit bigger, a little bit fatter maybe than that one. And what happens is, is you, you start to go up in those little tiny increments and you say, well, this is what's it's just a little bit bigger. It's not that much of a big deal. I can still kind of carry it. And then what happens is you start to get up into a thing where you might as well go maybe with like a, uh, is it the Glock 43? That's the nine millimeter. I think it is. I think the 42 is the 380. But anyway, if I've got them wrong, I just switch them. But I know the 380 on the Glock is probably going to be a little bit easier to run that type of thing. Uh, but then I'm giving up some of that concealability. And the, the main reason I wanted that small 380 and one of the main reasons I gravitated toward that car was that I could, I could slip it into pants pocket and it pretty much disappeared. I mean, you could, you can always tell you've got something in there, but nobody's going to go, oh, that's a gun. They're nowadays they are just going to think it's a wallet or it's, it's a, uh, a phone or it's something, you know, they, they don't even pay attention. People are so used to seeing stuff, kind of bulky things in the front pocket anymore, or maybe even in a back pocket. I know a lot of people carry their pocket guns in the back pocket. I tend to want to have it more in the front, but that's just me. So that's just one of my preferences. I think what I will probably end up doing is maybe going for, uh, I'll, I'll take a look. You know, I will, I'll take your, maybe take a little bit of your advice and I'll take a look when I go down to the gun range. 
and hopefully I'll be able to get there sometime this week and I can take a look at it. And if I go down to Ted's gun range, if they've got their three, if they've got the 380, gee whiz, if they've got their red dot up on it, they've got it on a Springfield, but if they've got their red dot up and running again, uh, they were saying that it went down due to a battery and they were just hadn't gotten around to getting one yet. But uh, once I can get out there and shoot that, I'll take a look at those and just kind of compare them side by side, that type of thing. So Anyway, kind of the, the point I was making is that when you say, well, it's just a little bit bigger and I can I can kind of do that, then you, you sort of lose that ability to carry it kind of comfortably in the pocket. Now, having said that, I have carried, I have certain pants that have big front pockets and I have carried the Glock 26 as a pocket carry gun. And a, a lot of times if you're standing it doesn't really look like much. Again, you can tell something's in there. But the main thing is when you're sitting down. And you can really tell. Sometimes it kind of, it does sort of print in the outline of that uh, firearm shape. But uh, with that, sometimes maybe if you're sitting down, if you just kind of keep your hand over the pocket, that type of deal. It also, with the smaller guns, one of the things that I noticed, if we compare it to, uh, again, that Glock 26 in the pocket, is that... It's harder with the smaller guns. You can get your hand in the pocket and kind of keep it in there. And it's not, it's not taking up so much room to where it's really pushing your hand out and almost kind of getting your hand not necessarily stuck, but there, there's not, again, there's not a lot. Sometimes it can be a little bit more difficult to get that hand in there and access the firearm if you thought you would need to. Uh, so anyway, that's kind of it on the 380s. I will, like I said, I will check those things out and... We'll kind of go from there with the, with the AKs. I do have, I bought years ago, I bought a, it was uh, from a local guy here who was a builder and I didn't really know a lot about AKs. I just thought, oh, I'll try one out. And at the time, I think I paid around like 600 bucks, which is what kind of maybe some lower end ones are going for now. It has a, I think it's, what is it, like an NDS receiver. It's got an American, the receiver was actually an American receiver that was made here. And it, I think he used a Romanian, or no, uh, well, I think he did use a Romanian parts kit and and built that. The gun is is decent. It's not the greatest in the world. Uh, I've never had now. I've never had any malfunctions with it, but it's not like a high-end AK. There's nothing, it's... And when I say it's not the greatest in the world, I guess I should say there's, you know, it's not the latest whiz bang thing. It's not, uh, it's not that it's, it's a bad gun necessarily, but there's nothing special about it. So there was, I, I don't think that the barrel is, you know, like a nice chrome line barrel. I don't, the, the sights on it, the trunnions on it are just, again, just typical Romanian stuff. Uh, so just an average, you know, everyday AK. And I kind of wanted to have something a little bit better, a little bit nicer. I will probably, I will probably end up selling that one uh, unless I just can't get any, you know, if I could only, if I can't get the, the amount of money that I would want, what I would do is probably just keep that one and then try and maybe fine tune it over time. Uh, again, since I already own it, there's not a lot that I would have to do to, to do a lot of the upgrades on there. I, I am kind of going more towards the Vepper and the uh, the Malat that's being imported from like what is it the Fime Group or Feme Group, however they want to say it, F I M E. Uh, I have got some emails into some places 
right now they're out of stock. They're about uh, about a thousand dollars probably. So again, if I can, I've, I've got a couple other rifles that I, they're kind of just sitting in there and they're safe queens, and I'm going to sell those. I'm in the process of doing that. Uh, and uh, as I always say when I talk about selling guns. Maybe for some of you guys that are just listening for the first time, I am in Arizona, and in Arizona, private sales of firearms are fine. All you have to do is do your due diligence in making sure that you're that that you wouldn't have any reason to believe it would be a straw purchase, or that the person would be a, pay, a prohibited possessor, and that they are they're not an out of state person. Uh, and that when you do that, you're you've sort of covered yourself. And like I've mentioned on past shows, I've never heard of it coming back on anybody that type of thing. Um, and mostly, most what people do is they want you to have a CCW permit. The stuff that I've bought and sold has always been that way. Or they want you to sign a bill of sale. And if the person isn't willing to do that, then that's when you say, "Well, okay, sorry, you know, I'm not, we're not going to go ahead and do that. We're not going to do the sale today." But anyway, getting back with some of the American-made stuff or some of the things that are, are starting to be made here, I don't know what it is. I, I don't know if people are cutting corners. I don't know uh, with Palmetto State Armory. I think if they could get their stuff ironed out, it could be like a good entry-level AK. I know that there were some problems with the DDI, and it wasn't just the, the guys over at uh, AK Operators Union uh, with the issues that they had. But uh, there definitely were issues with some of the DDI stuff. Now, you had mentioned that you had the DDI, their AK-74. And for some of you guys maybe that don't know, the 74 is in a different caliber. It's uh, 5.45 by 39, which would be more online probably if you compared it to something. uh, You would compare it to more like the 5.56 by 45 that a lot of the ARs that we have shoot. Uh, supposedly the recoil on them is a lot softer. Uh, the ammo, I guess, is relatively cheap still. It's easy to get. Uh, you can find it in non-corrosive stuff pretty easy. I don't know that I would ever get one of those. I might if I could get one at a good price and I could just have Quinn kind of plinking around with it. Uh, again, I don't know. Supposedly there's some mods uh, that you can do with them. Um you know, just like you can do with the with the uh, AK-47s and things like that. But I don't know. Honestly, probably it would be one of those things where I would, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's one of those things, again, where it's kind of like when you think about it, it's like, oh, that'd be fun. But the reality of it is, eh, you know, I'll, I'll probably never do that. I think that as time goes on, I may start whittling down some of my guns and get to where I just have sort of a, a little bit of a core of certain things that I just that I want and want to have. So, well, well, I was, was going to say something about uh, HK, but we'll, we'll get to that here a little bit later. So anyway, as uh, the next thing that Spencer had talked about and that I talked about last time on the show, I think, was that the new protesting laws, basically what they were going to do is they were going to seize assets and, and stuff of if uh, you had organized a protest and then for something went wrong at that, then that you as the organizer could be held liable and accountable and could have all your stuff seized because of something that somebody else did. And it could be that it would be an easy way if, let's say that you didn't like uh, protest group A and you went down and caused a bunch of trouble, then you could get that group that was had a legitimate right to protest and maybe have them shut down. So uh, again, it's I, in my opinion, it was too much of the government, it was too much government overreach and too much of the government 
being heavy handed, you know, a lot of times, and then he, he talked about maybe some term limits and things like that. But I am, I think I'm kind of in agreement with that. What I, what I would like to see is a thing where we, even if we just kept everything the way it is, but once you serve your term, then you're done. Or if we revamped it and say, okay, you know, everybody can serve two four-year terms and then that's it. And then you're, you're sort of done with serving if, if you serve it in the Senate or if you serve it uh, in the House. You've got your, you know, eight years of doing that. And then if you wanted to go back and do your state, then maybe you could do something, uh, you know, a little different. Maybe you could run for governor, try and get in your state house. But again, uh, we, we have these career politicians that are addicted to the power and the money and, and stuff is a is an added benefit for them. But really, I think for most of them, it's the power that you have and the influence and, and the things that you can do with that. But, uh, and I think we talked about the, his last point was about the, the red dots. And for him, it kind of, for Spencer, it kind of didn't really work. I'll have to see how it is with me. I think it's probably a training issue. I think that it's something that maybe once I get used to, it will have to work for me. Like I said, I am kind of talking out of my butt here a little bit because I haven't shot it, haven't done anything, haven't been able to have a uh, a good training session with it. Uh, and I think that, again, I may be able to go up to uh, Prescott, up to uh, with Suarez International, and probably just rent a gun from them. I'm sure they would, would provide one for me to train with and to maybe take a class. So I'll, I'll uh, maybe go that route, and we'll see. I am not too worried with the with the sites being occluded either and even with like kind of like the sweat and the this and the that um for me I don't I don't know that it's going to be that much of an issue you know it might again it, it's it's hard because I don't know and I haven't carried one as far as holsters and things like that they are as they're becoming more popular more holsters are being designed for them I've, I've made holsters and I have a lot of the stuff, this, the setup. So I'm not too worried about even if I needed to make my own holster, I've made, you know, several in the past, I've made them for going to, you know, training classes or just uh, having outside the waistband stuff or inside there. It's not that tough to do, especially if you're, if you're making them for yourself, how do I want to say this? It's not that they're not high quality, but you're not going to worry as much about the fit and finish of them because you're not trying to sell them, but you can still have them and make them do what the holsters need to do. So they need to have good retention. They need to cover the trigger uh, and, and cover the trigger guard area. So you can't get your finger in there. So there's no way for the gun to go, uh, to go off. Uh, you need to have the opening be where it doesn't collapse in on itself. So depending on if you're going with all Kydex, uh, some people say don't use the the 60 and that you should go at a minimum uh, maybe uh, with the higher with the, which is it uh, 80 is it 80 80 and 93 I can't remember 93 anyway the the 90s is in the highest and the a lot of guys will will kind of make a compromise and go with the 80 uh, and these are the thicknesses of the actual kydex with that stuff as long as you're you can get good definition. You just need to have some type of a press. Uh, I don't think you maybe get as good uh, of definition as a home guy using uh, a vacuum press with it or a, a vacuum type thing. 
where it basically it evacuates the air out and it sucks your kydex down over there. I think probably your um, the type of thing that I use is almost like a, is, is a uh, press that I use. It's almost like kind of it kind of would remind you a little bit of like a bookbinding press, kind of turned on its side type deal, and basically, or it's like a press in a shop where you're applying downward downward pressure, and you can get good definition. Uh, a lot of that though has to do with the temperature of your kydex and how quick you can get it from your heat source into that press. And then also how consistent you can keep that. So you want to heat it up between around like uh, probably a minimum of around 300. You don't want to really go much more over 350 degrees. If you're using kydex, that seems to be about the optimum optimal um, temperature you want. And then if you do that and get it in the press pretty quick, you can get real good definition, even with the thicker stuff. And then also there's other tricks where you can, on your phone that you're going to press it into, while your, while your stuff is heating up, you can heat your foam up with your heat gun. And then that way you don't have as much as a, of a temperature transfer of the heat going into that foam. Uh, so it stays in the kydex a little bit and you get better uh, better definition. And ultimately you'll get better retention through there. So And there's, there's all sorts of little tricks and stuff as you do it now of course i haven't made a holster in a while and it's sort of like like anything else you do if you're making a bunch of them or making a bunch of uh magazine mag holders or this or that or whatever you're making knife knife sheaths whatever the more you do it you you get a real good feel for it and then you kind of step away from it which i've kind of stepped away from it for a while so i would have a learning curve with it and then that's where it kind of costs you a little bit but you know even a couple of sheets of kydex is five, six bucks, you know, for a 12 by 12 sheet. So it's not that big a deal. So even if you messed up a couple of times, you could probably get a, a, a three holsters, even with a couple of mess ups for the price of what you would buy one for. So anyway, again, Spencer, in my long rambling way, thanks for sending that in. I appreciate it. And like I said, I will consider... A lot what you said and, uh, oh, well, you know what, with the, with the, with like selling one of my, selling my Glock and doing that, what I would probably do is I don't think I would buy one of the Glock MOS. I think what I would probably do is just get, maybe just send my slide in up to, um, once I, if I was going to go that route to decide and I'm like, okay, well, it's once I've kind of rented it or done a class or whatever with it, I would probably just have my slide milled through Suarez or through one of those other companies that I had mentioned before who, who does it all the time. And a lot of times what they'll do is they'll also mill you a, a cover plate so that if you decide after a while, Ooh, boy, this just wasn't for me. You could redo it that way. Or I could always, uh, maybe try and find a, a, uh, a slide when they go on sale every once in a while, the Glock slides will go on sale. And so maybe for a hundred bucks or so, a couple hundred bucks, you can just get the slide with no internals and you can buy all the parts. And so for not that much money for a couple hundred bucks, you could probably have a slide that you could get and put together yourself. So anyway, uh, again, I know I've, I keep coming around and around that I think of something else to say, but uh, again, I think we'll kind of sew up the bag here on, on your feedback and thanks again. And I hope to hear from you again soon, Spencer. All right, let's see, what else do we have? We have some feedback from Aaron, and I will go ahead and play that for you now. Hi, Tony, Aaron from Colorado Springs. 
Just wanted to give you some show feedback on uh, number 146, your uh, red dot project for your pistol. Back in the first part of November of last year, I picked up a uh, Glock MOS 19 or 19 MOS and put a uh, Trigicon RMR 07 on top of it and have been quite happy with it so far. I've got uh, about 620 some odd rounds through the gun and an IDPA match and uh, it's uh, working quite well. A couple little uh, things that I found, the uh, suppressor sights that I put on it are just a little bit too short. Uh, the bottom edge of the dot on the front of the sight gets truncated. So when you're lining everything up properly, the, the, red, the, the dot is just a little bit... Um, cut off at the bottom and I'm during speed I'm looking more at the dot than I am necessarily looking at how everything is lined up so the shots are going a little bit high not that big of a deal but um, sometime down the road I'll probably change those out but uh, when folks uh, start looking for um, sights for their uh, red dot equipped pistol they just want to make sure that they get them high enough so that uh, everything looks normal when you need them. I chose the uh, RMR07 uh, because of its number one ruggedness and number two the ability for it to be manually adjusted as well as go into an auto mode which uh, in my testing has uh, worked out quite well. The IDP match that I shot the first stage it must have been set on manual because the, the dot was really faint had a hard time seeing it, thus I had to transition to my iron sights. Glad I had those on there and uh, was able to uh, do pretty well, but um, uh, like I said before, the shots are going a little bit high, not a big deal. For what I'm planning to use it, you know, even if I never do replace the sights, uh, the distances, defensive and so forth, it's not going to be a, not going to be a problem. One thing I did find when I first took the pistol out was the uh, sight was going off occasionally. And I found out that by putting a little piece of uh, electrical tape uh, right underneath where the battery sits, that gives it just enough upward force to uh, keep the battery contacts uh, firmly seated and haven't had any problems since. Also, I did not realize that um, the on the 19 slide, it is just a little bit narrower than the body of the red dot. So the seal that's around it didn't quite... It was like half half on, half off. And I did some research, and it turns out that they sell a, a metal plate that will take care of that problem. It would have been nice to know ahead of time, but it is what it is. So anybody that is looking to do this, just double-check to make sure that your application doesn't require an extra part like that. It was 19 bucks, not a big deal, just annoying that you know had to go through the, the motions and, and end up with another part. As far as training is concerned, uh, I think most folks are going to probably pick it up fairly quickly. Uh, Gabe Suarez and Aaron Cowan both have a couple of videos on YouTube uh, that discuss uh, working with uh, red dot sites and zeroing them and so forth. So uh, there's some tips and, tips and tricks out there that uh, people can pick up and uh, it'll uh, shortcut some of the uh, training process. Uh, just doing some basic dry fire drawing getting everything aligned like it should be and some uh, uh, range practice and I think everybody will um, will work out pretty good. Um, I'm still probably a couple hundred rounds away from really burning it in uh, to my uh, subconscious as to exactly where everything is supposed to be and uh, I've been shooting iron sights for so long that I'm still focusing on that 
front sight versus looking at the target and bringing the pistol up into my vision like I would on an AR. So uh, just a little bit more training, and I think I'll probably have that nailed down. One uh, word of caution to some folks uh, that are out there that are looking to do this on uh, the cheap or less expensive, you probably aren't going to want to put a $100, $150 red dot on your uh, handgun and expect it to uh, last, especially in a defensive situation. If you're just pl plinking at the range, not a big deal, but if you're going to bet your life on this firearm and this platform and uh, configuration, you're going to want to spend some money. Uh, Speaking of money, if you go to uh, bnhphoto.com, and I know they carry the 07 and 06 version of the RMR, uh, they do have a pretty good price. Um, their price they list on the website, if you um, plug in your email address, they send you a uh, an offer that is good for a week or two. And it is, well, there's a fair amount of savings on it, probably... Uh, 40, 50, 60 bucks somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, I got mine for about uh, 420, I think it was, and then about a month or so later, a friend of mine did the same thing, and they uh, at that point had knocked down about uh, 10 or 15 dollars off of that. So, uh, an option to go looking for the red dot. But I appreciate your web uh, website. <laughs> I appreciate your uh, podcast, and have a good day. Thanks. Bye. All right, Aaron, thanks for sending that in. I appreciate it. It's good to hear from you again. Uh, some of the stuff, you know, kind of jives with what Spencer says. Some of it, they may be kind of a, a friendly disagreement. Uh, you know, for and Spencer, he had said that it just wasn't kind of working out for him or the training that or effort he would have to put into it for that platform, maybe not be the best for him. For Aaron, he's kind of saying, well, if I, you know, I'm almost there, I've almost got it. I'm a few hundred rounds away to where it's going to be kind of just as natural as doing the site. Um, one of the things that I, I, again, seems to be important is to have those suppressor height sites. Again, for the, some of you guys, maybe that don't know, the RMR sits up on top of the slide and you, your normal sites will be occluded by kind of that base of that RMR. So you need to have higher sights so that when you're looking through, you would be able to use those as a backup or as also maybe a reference to help find the dot. So it is important to have the right uh, suppressor site heights on those things. As far as the different models, I guess, of the RMR with the Trigicon, that's probably what I'm going to go with is a Trigicon. I don't know Again, which one will maybe work out best for me? Uh, again, some people say, you know, have one that has that auto thing. Some people say stay away from it. Some people say make sure that it 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 uh, you can adjust it manually, that type of thing. Uh, and again, I don't know. Uh, this is why I'm, I'm trying to get feedback from some people. But the one thing that is kind of consistently coming up, it seems, is that the RMR, the 07 or the 06 is what a lot of people are going with. Also, Aaron had mentioned that B and H photo. I had never heard of them before, but I went on there and I was able to, what did I buy from them? I didn't buy an RMR from them, but I bought something and I can't remember what it was. It may have been, um, it may have been, uh, a, I think it may have been a saw, a, uh, a silky uh, gome boy, which is like a, for camping and, and bushcrafting and stuff like that. It's a saw. So anyway, that's probably a subject for a, uh, for the armed eight podcast. And maybe I'll do a review on that stuff over there here pretty quick. So anyway, getting back to the RMRs, like I said, I'm not exactly sure which one I will go for. 
uh, I will probably want to again do them both. See, uh, actually, kind of see which one what I would think that would benefit me the the most. That type of stuff. So, and we kind of touched on a little bit about how that um, sometimes if if the well, one of the things that Aaron talked about was if your the width of your slide is sometimes going to be narrower than the width of the RMR, and that there's certain plates. And it was a good tip, I think, to you know, to know about as those things move. Sometimes maybe that battery contact isn't as what it should be, and so you can do like just a simple, easy fix of putting a little bit of electrical tape in there, and that little bit of a thickness just gives you the boost up that you need. So again, Aaron, thanks for sending that in, and hope to hear from you again real soon. And again, that was uh, Aaron, and I think it's in Colorado Springs. All right, I think that is about it for the feedback that we have on there, and I think we've kind of covered that stuff a little bit. And on to a little bit of a different subject, I saw a thing on Facebook, and I kind of got all excited about it, but then I couldn't find anything to back it up, so I don't know if it was maybe somebody was kind of pulling my leg, or maybe this was a release that was done in Europe and hasn't been done here in uh, America. But... As you guys know, I have the VP9, and I really like that gun. I like the ergonomics of it. It shoots just fine for me. Uh, I haven't had any problems with it in all the rounds that I've put through with it. But I would like there to be maybe a little bit smaller version of it, much like the uh, the P30S, I think is what it's called. Uh, and I may, be, I may have the actual uh, SK, I think is, I think, is what that is. Let me pull it up here. Uh, which is what if you if they did a VP9, basically it's a v, it's it's a hammer fired version, or the VP9 is I guess is a striker fired version since the the P30 came first. But supposedly that's what a what a lot of people are wanting in a VP9 is kind of a compact version of that. Unfortunately. I can't find anything that says that they're willing to do that. When I went and looked at some of their their uh, press releases and things like that, the only thing that I could find was that they were going to expand their one of their plants in Columbus, Georgia, because Georgia was a more friendly state to them, and they were going to absorb some of their stuff from their New Hampshire operations were going to go into the Columbus thing. So they're going to be hiring people, which is good. They're going to be hiring Americans, and they're also going to bring some people over from Germany, some of their engineers that will be here, and they're going to try and expand what they're doing. At that point, I don't know if maybe they will look to do some offers. If if we're being kind of, and, and what I mean by offers is expanding the VP line to have that compact pistol to have supposedly now the, in the in this thing that I saw supposedly they were going to have like a long slide VP nine, they were going to have a larger capacity magazine, they were going to have the the compact VP nine. The only stuff that I've seen from them in the VP nine is that they've done the different colors like the flat dark earth they've done a tactical they've done uh, and then a gray so you're basically your polymer frame is different colors and then in the tactical you just get different sights and a threaded barrel eh, you know not that great part of that i wonder is is because if we look at sort of the gun industry was sort of in a feeding frenzy for a while and so there really was no reason for them to come out with something like that shorter version that people would kind of clamor for because everybody was sort of buying what they were selling already. And this isn't just HK, but just sort of across the board. 
But now that Obama is out and Trump is in and people aren't feeling the pressure of, oh, these politicians are going to pass stuff any day that's going to limit what I can get, so I better buy what I can, when I can, or what I can, when I can, excuse me. I think that some stuff is going to kind of uh, slow down a bit. And we're, we're seeing that in some of the press releases of uh, there are certain factories that are having to lay off some people. Colt was having to do it. And I think there was, I can't remember what it was, but it had something to do with one of the AK companies was having to kind of pull back a little bit because again, that, that frenzied feeling of, I got to get it, I got to get it isn't there. But now that things are kind of slowed down, I think maybe HK and some of these other companies will start to release some stuff to generate some sales or generate some buzz, that type of thing. So anyway, when I first saw that thing, I was all a Twitter and I thought, oh, it's finally out. It's finally out. But then when I went and, and looked and tried to look up press releases, tried to look up other stuff on their website, what's coming new in 2017, I didn't really see anything. Uh, so like I said, the only thing that I saw uh, on their press releases was the thing about them expanding to Georgia. The last thing I saw was back in August uh, when they're talking about the tactical models and the flat dark earth. If I, if you go to news articles, there's really nothing, there's nothing really new. Uh, like I said, the press releases and in, in their image gallery and their video galleries, you're not really seeing a whole lot of stuff that's saying as far as with the VP nine, and maybe they're going to have some other stuff, but as far as the VP nine platform, uh, you know, they did release one in 40 and this, that, and the other thing. So we'll see what they're going to do. Anyway, on an interesting side note, one of my friends on Facebook, Phil, uh, had shot a, a mag 40 qualifier thing and had done it without his eyeglasses on. And I thought, oh, that, that really inspired me to try something like that as well. I want to do that without my glasses. Like I said, I'm very nearsighted. And so I'd like to see how that is. And I'd like to see how that would kind of affect my mindset. And I'd rather do that in a, in a controlled situation. Cause like I, I've mentioned before, I wear glasses. And so if those got knocked off, but then I still needed to go to the gun, what am I going to do? Hopefully the first time that happens to me, the first time I've shot without my glasses on or with, with my vision being corrected is not in that situation. And that's in it and that it is in a controlled situation. So that would be something that I would, and who knows whether if they would say it would be too unsafe, but I would like to see maybe done in a class or maybe have somebody offer that to say, oh, if your glasses get knocked off, we're going to, you know, we're going to do stuff up close. It's going to be very safe, very, you know, controlled, blah, 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 blah. But I'd like to see some of that, that stuff offered. So anyway, uh, Phil, if you're listening, good on you. Uh, oh, and he still shot, he shot, uh, out of 300, he shot 299. So I was proud of Phil. Anyway, I think we've covered most stuff. One of the things that I've noticed or I've seen lately is a lot of, had a little bit of an interruption there, got some text. So I don't know if you guys heard the, the bings or the bangs, but if this sounds a little disjointed, that's why. Anyway, one of the things that a lot of the, some news articles and the things are, they're saying like, oh, liberals are buying guns in, in, uh, in record numbers. But I, and I, I saw a couple of things and it was mainly coming kind of from some of these conservative things that you look at. And I kind of thought, well, how do you know that? How, how in the world would you know if liberals are buying guns or not? Nobody goes in and says, oh, I'm a Democrat and this, that, and the other, or maybe they do. I don't know. But I thought it was probably more like anecdotal type stuff. 
Now, the last thing I wanted to talk about, and then we will maybe kind of draw it to a close, and this is more for kind of maybe food for thought for for the next show, for the next episode, is what does it, what does it mean? All Look, all of us are getting older. And whether you're 21 right now and you're listening to this, or you're 16, or you're 86 and you're listening to this, what does your age mean for you as a gun owner? What does it mean for you for for physically how you can handle and manipulate the firearms that you have. And I've been thinking about this a lot lately. So how I, the, the things that I could do, obviously when I was 15 and, and we were out hunting all the time is different than when I, not that much different, but a little bit different when I was 25, a little bit different, more different when I was 35. And then when I got into my forties and I just turned 50 this last year in 2016, Things are different. It's not, there's not anything that I feel that I couldn't handle or that anything would be too hard for me to use. But as time marches on, what is it going to mean for me? So what does it mean for me as a gun owner at 40, at 50? What's it going to mean for me when I'm 60, 70, 80? When I get into the higher, into that higher age range, hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll live long enough to find out what it's like to be an 85 or 90 year old gun owner. But what physical limitations will I have and how will that determine what I want to use for self-defense? Will it, will it be a thing of, man, I just can't carry anymore? Will it be a thing of, I can't, you know, run a slide anymore. I may want to go to a revolver. Would it be a thing of saying, well, since I, I, what I can do is I can have something like a, again, like a VP nine or a Glock 17 and I've got 17 rounds in the gun. And if it's hard for me to manipulate the slide, would I want to do something where I just have another Glock 17? So basically I would shoot that one. And if, if the gun ran dry, then I've got another one that I would access. So, and this, that would be more in like a home situation type thing. So like if you, you would have a couple of guns on the nightstand or in the nightstand or, or staged where you could access them, that, that type of thing. So anyway, kind of food for thought. I'm going to think about that a little bit more uh, and what I think may be some of the challenges that, I, that you might face. So or if, if any of you guys out there, maybe you have your uh, your parents are older or maybe you're going through some stuff. Uh, I know I talk about eyesight a lot because that's one of the kind of the challenges and things that I'm kind of going through. And as that sight picture is, is changing for me. And uh, again, I think last time, you know, Bob uh, Main had talked about, you know, you can learn to shoot with that fuzzy sight picture. And then we see with Phil, you know, from his Facebook post and stuff, obviously he was able to shoot without his glasses on. I don't know if he's super nearsighted or, or farsighted or, or what. So, and that may affect how, how you do and how, uh, you would want to you would want to manipulate the gun. Obviously, something like that. It, it could be something that maybe you're not in a fight, but maybe something somebody broke into your house, and in the, your panic to get your glasses, you knock them off, or they get stepped on or broken, and then so you've just you've got the gun, and you've got a. Uh, it may be a thing where if you don't have kids in the house, you just stay in your room. It may be a thing where though, if you do have kids. You can't, if somebody's in your house, you've got to get to them. And then hopefully you've had some training with that. That's something that I want to do with my, uh, for, just for me, but it's also something that I would like to do. And I don't know how how it would work out, 
but uh, I would like to maybe have somebody out there maybe put on a seminar or something where you could actually run through stuff with your family. I've seen a few things on Facebook where, and on YouTube where people have done stuff with their kids where uh, there was one thing where a gentleman was walking with his daughter and in the in the scenario drill, he goes down like he's been shot. She gets the gun, accesses the firearm, uh, fires a couple of shots downrange, and then it's like that the threat has ended and then she gets on the phone and calls, you know, supposedly medical services or whatever. And I remember when I first saw that, I thought, man, that's a good idea, but I've never really seen anybody that trains with that. We We talk about stuff like that a lot, but to actually have the ability to go through and do that with somebody who... Uh, somebody who's a trainer who can say, oh, okay, well, this is what you're doing wrong, or let's think about it this way, or let's think about it that way. Uh, maybe that's something if I can ever get a hold of our uh, our friend Daniel Shaw, maybe I can talk with him about something like that and kind of pick his brain. So maybe I'll send him an email here within the next day or so and see if he uh, if he's not too busy. I know he's doing some training. I, th- I forget where he's at right now, but uh, I know he's coming to Arizona, unfortunately, that coincides with when I'm going to be, uh, we're going to be out of town. So I will not be able to do that. I like I said, I still want to do some actual training with him. Uh, but maybe I can, like I said, maybe I can get him back on the show real quick and we can talk about some of that stuff. Even if I've only got him for like five or 10 minutes, something like that. All right. I think that will do it. Uh, let me know what you think. If you've got any ideas for me, if anybody's had experience with the Vepers, uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, the Vepper has that, that little bit thicker receiver. Uh, I think that there is enough kind of aftermarket stuff out there. A lot of times the, the receiver is thicker. So if you're putting on an adapter or if you're doing something else here and there, you just have to maybe do a little bit of file work on that piece. Uh, and that, that really doesn't concern me all that much. Uh, generally for me, once I get something kind of configured the way I want it, I don't tend to change it too much. So it may be a little bit of, uh, Uh, work at first, but then you kind of move on from there. So, all right, that's going to do it. Remember, if you'd like to contact me, the area code is 206-745-2731 and the email address is firearmscafe at gmail.com. If you go over to the website, firearmscafe.com, there are buttons for Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. All right, my friends, I will talk to you next time. Here we go. Yeah.